Okay, I have a poll for us this morning. Are you ready? Show of hands. As a kid, were you the kind of kid who loved Christmas, okay, but had no trouble sleeping at night, no trouble waiting on your gifts, or, and, and or were relaxed and joyful during the whole season? Show of hands. Okay, there are some of you. Okay, great. Now, how many of you were the kind of kid that got so excited for Christmas that you didn't sleep the night before, you ended up crying at some point during the day, and or was cranky during the whole season due to overstimulation, overexcitement? Okay, okay. So as a child, apparently, I was the latter. Even though my parents were low-key about the whole thing, and I knew who Santa was, because I got my picture taken with him and he sounded and looked a lot like my uncle. (laughs) Christmas was still difficult for me. I had such high expectations of Christmas that it would bring joy, a great joy. After all, that's what we sang about each year. The sort of joy that was beyond just mere happiness. Oh, and I was a happy kid. I, you know, I assumed that everything was pretty good going up, but um, I assumed that the joy that we were talking about in church was different. That once I experienced it, it would stay with me forever. So each year, I'd try again. I'd open myself up to the wonder of Christmas, putting myself out there, grabbing that joy for a moment, only for it to disappear each time something went wrong. Then I was ashamed that I'd been so joyful. So I learned to fear joy. Somehow in my kid brain, I thought you had to pay for joy with an equal amount of sadness, grief, loss, or shame. It's the when's the other shoe going to drop syndrome. Things are going well, but wait, it's probably going to end soon, or I assumed it was. Now, according to the poll, I'm not the only one that feels this way. So now you know there's at least two of us up here, right? So according to extensive research on emotions, the emotion people fear most is joy. It's because many of us fear joy because it's risky, The joy of a new child being born brings with it thoughts of, there's so many things bad that could happen. Or the joy of a new job brings the thoughts of, what if I don't perform well? What if I get fired? The joy of a new relationship brings the thought of, what if they really get to know me and then don't really like me? Joy makes us vulnerable. It opens us up to the possibilities of getting hurt, disappointed, or experiencing great loss. So we protect ourselves. We somehow try to have a buffer and keep joy at a slight distance. But there's this kind of joy that can't be stolen or taken away. Uh, It's a type of joy that comes with a promise and a future, and a victory. It's the joy that I had been longing for and looking for as a child. Today's sermon is entitled Joy, the Expression of Victory, and it comes from an Old Testament book called Zephaniah. 
And we've already read it this morning in our Advent reading. And so I'd like you to stand as we just read just one verse out of it, Zephaniah 3.17. Now it's going to be slightly different because this is my own translation, but you'll hear pretty much the same. The Lord God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will continue to rejoice over you with joyfulness. He will cause you to rest in his love. He will keep rejoicing over you with shouts of joy. God, I pray this morning as we let that word settle over us and in us, that as the words come from um, being spoken out to being settled in our hearts, that we embrace that you have something to tell us about who you are this morning, about the way in which you're bringing something to us, the way in which you've done something for us so that we can experience something of you. So I pray that we do open ourselves up to hear you this morning and listen for your shouts of joy over us. Amen. You may be seated. So today's passage comes from the prophet called Zephaniah. He describes a time in in the history of Jerusalem when King Josiah reigned, and that was probably around 640 BC. Now, King Josiah was a very young king when he came and sat on the throne. He was eight years old. Uh, But this time that we're talking about in this book describes basically what happened during his reign. Now, the nation of Judah that King Josiah ruled over had splintered off from Israel, and um, which had been destroyed by the Assyrians. And many of the kings that were in Judah prior to King Josiah uh, practiced idolatry and divination, and they worshiped the stars and the trees and the beasts, and they practiced child sacrifice. And these altars of these little idols and these practices were actually set up within the temple. But Josiah somehow trusted God took a turn away from what his ancestors had done and removed the idols from the temple. Now, during that process, uh, one of the priests actually uncovered a scroll, which many believe it was the book of Moses, that they hadn't read for years and years and years and years. And so they took this scroll to this prophetess Hulda, and she told Josiah these words. These words are true. This is what the Lord has spoken. But also, he says, I'm about to bring disaster on this place and its residents. All the things in the scroll that the king of Judah has read. This will happen because they have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to other gods, angering me with all their gods they have made. My anger will ignite against this place and it will not be extinguished. So Josiah tore his clothes And Josiah and the whole people repented. And that word sort of stayed at bay at least until King Josiah died. And it was so short-lived because the people went right back doing what they were doing before. This is the context in which Zephaniah speaks. Now, Zephaniah is a minor prophet, so you turn almost to the very end of the Old Testament, and you'll find him in there. Um, It's a collection of oracles that announce the judgment on Jerusalem, Judea, and all the surrounding nations. And it says that God's justice would be this consuming fire, devouring evil 
over the whole entire land. Now, eventually, we actually see this played out historically because the Assyrians had conquered the Egyptians and the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians and then the Babylonians conquered Israel. And by the time they were all done, they all had conquered each other. But in the last section of this book, where our passage is found, we find out this consuming fire was not meant for total destruction, but for, for purification. Now, a purification that would lead to not death, but joy. That sometime in the future, God would bring about a great joy for all people. So when Jesus was born, angels appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Somehow this passage is picking up these words of Zephaniah. When he said, the Lord will be with you in your midst. He will be a, white, a mighty warrior that will save. In John's gospel, the language to describe Jesus' arrival is this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Christmas is the story of Jesus' arrival as a mighty warrior disguised as a baby. To be born in the midst of a people so that those people and the people throughout the coming ages would know God's great joy. Now, this mighty warrior would save. And I know that sometimes when we hear that word save, we immediately think of salvation. But here it's being translated as to deliver them into a broad pasture of safety. This broad area, like a valley of safety. And so it's fitting that God sent angels to announce this good news to some shepherds who understood what a broad pasture of safety meant for their own personal lives and their own personal livelihood. Now we know that sheep are very vulnerable to many, many enemies. And a broad pasture where sheep could graze would allow shepherds a really great vantage point to oversee them and to look out for their enemies and so they could provide for them and protect them. These shepherds went out and sought this deliverance because they understood a promise of this broad pasture was in fact deliverance, was in fact salvation, and they found him in a manger. This deliverance is the promise of God to redeem, to save, and it's the reason Zephaniah said he will continually rejoice with joyfulness. Now Christmas is all about this great joy, who is Jesus? Now, this is the hope that Zephaniah actually was pointing to. Jesus becomes the justice of God and the love of God. Jesus' birth and death and resurrection all point us to the way in God, which uh, God would save the world. Jesus was sent to show us God's heart 
so that he could be in the middle of his people, in the midst of them while he was living, and then send the Holy Spirit to be in the midst of us as believers. This is how God will cause us to rest in his love. The love is the reason we today are called to sing and worship. Philippians reminds us and says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let the gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But you know, it's God that started rejoicing first. Zephaniah says, he will keep rejoicing over you with shouts of joy. Think about it. From the moment of your birth, God begins shouting over you with shouts of joy. He's been shouting over you with shouts of joy from that moment until now. And no matter what, no matter what we do, he will not stop shouting joy over us. But the question this morning is, do we believe it? At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God was actually vulnerable first. He risked his only son, Jesus, to come and dwell among us. Think about the fact that God was vulnerable first, sending his only son as a babe, knowing that another shoe was probably going to drop, knowing that the only way for him to bring victory to the world, to start permanent renewal of all things, was to die on a cross, knowing that people would reject him, knowing that people will choose destruction and injustice and evil and corruption, knowing that there will be great loss and suffering and hurt along the way. But he was vulnerable first. Vulnerability is the way of God. There's nothing more vulnerable than a baby born to a poor, oppressed people in an occupied country with God's enemy poised to destroy and rob the world of that great joy. In being vulnerable, God opened our potential for great joy. Nothing is more vulnerable than loving first. And yet, this is our God. This is our example of victory. God's expression of victory is joy. So why do we struggle with embracing joy? because we don't want to be vulnerable. According to Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, vulnerability is the birthplace of joy, creativity, and belonging. But it also holds this potential for shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness. To find joy, creativity, and belonging, Brene Brown argues that we must face what it means to be vulnerable. Joy is the most vulnerable emotion we experience. And if you cannot tolerate joy, what you do is you start dressing, dress rehearsing tragedy. The what ifs, waiting for the shoe to drop. It's the idea that there's a shoe that will eventually drop 
and will be snatched away. So instead of embracing it, we protect ourselves against it. Yesterday, uh, we had our second part of our season of giving. And we saw lots of people come in and uh, they began to share with us um, around as they're shopping, as they're in the prayer room, they began to share with us what's going on in their lives. Uh, they began to tell us where they're hurting, what's going on. And it takes the vulnerability of both the volunteers and those who are coming in to listen and engage in a conversation, to be vulnerable with each other and say things like, can I pray for you? How are you doing? And, and as we began the whole morning, you could see the, the amount of joy increase. Uh, there is this vulnerability that happens with people who are pretty desperate in many ways, and yet they can experience an increase of joy just because they're interacting with other people. And because their vulnerability and our vulnerability, the joy just continued to grow and grow throughout the morning. I saw people being prayed for. I saw people being ministered to. I saw this one dear little girl kept running people around the prayer room, showing them how much joy there was in praying at each station. From passing out toothpaste and toothbrushes to giving out cards, this, the joy just continued to increase. But this made me wonder, why are we seeing that kind of joy on a Saturday morning downstairs in church? And we don't regularly see that kind of joy on a Sunday morning upstairs in church. Sort of a hard word, but I think it's, there's some truth to it. Because I think we come to church with this, this illusion or disillusion that we are to be perfect, well put together, confident, assured people who have all their stuff together. Can you imagine turning to your neighbor right now and telling them your stuff? Can you imagine sharing with them and saying, hey, can I be vulnerable with you right now? Why do we stop doing that? It's because we are fearful that they'll judge us, mock us, exclude us, right? But if we aren't willing to be vulnerable, then we really aren't imitating God. And if we aren't following God's lead, then why are we here? To become more and more like us? People who are filled with anxiety? People who are confused? People who are wondering when the next shoe is going to drop? If God's expression is joy, we must be willing to be vulnerable with ourselves, with others, and with God. See, God's joy is already ours. It's already ours. He's already given it to us because he was joyful first. I think receiving and believing and living out God's joy is sort of hard one, though. It's not something that we earn at all, but because it's already something that God has won for us, we have to learn to live into it. Living into God's joy takes practice, but it's a kind of practice that's fun uh, at the same time. And so I was thinking about this. How do I practice joy? 
I mean, I am the child who grew up thinking that the other shoe was going to drop. So how do I practice this? I thought of like three different ways. And again, this is my practice, so it doesn't have to be yours, but I'm hoping that some of these things might help you um, if you're struggling to practice joy this morning. So my first one is to be vulnerable with um, your heart and practice joy with worship and dance. Is the music there it is. So if you hear this music, right, what do you want to do? Right? You want to dance. You hear it. It starts beating. Start dancing. What do you do when you dance? You're using your whole body for joy. You can't help it, but you're moving, right? Anybody want to join me? No, you don't want to be vulnerable. Thank you. <laughs> right? I just hear this music and I just start to, it just starts to change my center of location of where I'm thinking and what's happening. And usually I do this in the privacy of my own home. Usually I do it when no one's looking or when I'm cleaning and I have the music super cranked and I'm just, you know, having a good time. And it always leads me to worship. And you can shut that off now, please. It leads me to worship. It leads me to worship God. And when I'm worshiping God, I suddenly realize I'm being very vulnerable. To lift up my hands, to stand and cry before the Lord, to kneel, to sing as loud as I can, even if I have skill or I don't have skill. This is vulnerability in front of God. And his joy just begins to take over. Yes, when you're worshiping here at church, you might feel vulnerable because everyone is looking at you, right? Not really. If everybody's worshiping, they're not really looking at you, right? You may feel if you really let yourself go and worship, it's over the top, and you're worried if you really give yourself to the Lord, he may show up, and then what, right? But remember, this is only a practice, so you don't have to be perfect at it. So practices help us just practice something. Second, let's be vulnerable with our souls and share our insecurities and our fears and shame with God and others, right? Now, as a church community, we have adopted seven values, and two of which are we welcome all and we serve others. In the welcoming all piece, um, we're stressing the fact that you matter, that I matter, that everyone around us matters, that we begin to see people around us as mattering to God. As a church, we want, to know, we want everyone to know that they matter. But it's risky sharing our lives, our hurts, our sins, our triumphs, our failures with each other, but when we're vulnerable with each other, God becomes the center of that vulnerability instead of ourselves. We move that location of, let's just think about ourselves to the location of God and others. And then when we begin to enter and care for each other, we begin to serve each other. When we're serving each other, God comes to meet our every need. 
Because of our relationships with each other, we are called to partner together for each other in the church and in our community. Because God is in our midst, we can take on the responsibility to come alongside, to lift up another, and to be lifted up. Instead of consumers, we become contributors by praying for and with each other. Now, a few weeks ago, I asked some of you to come forward who needed prayer and just to sit in front and others to come up and pray over them. And we can do that every single week. There's no rule. There's no formula. It's, it, it can happen all the time. There's a prayer room downstairs today, and there's time to get coffee and have fellowship with one another and just chat over donuts and candy and all kinds of other things. Great time to practice vulnerability. Remember, we're just practicing. So just practice it this morning. And third, be vulnerable with your mind and submerse yourself in scripture. Here are the ways God is singing over you. I picked just a few uh, scripture verses that help me also to remember that God is singing over me. So you might wanna close your eyes and just listen as I speak this over you. In John, it says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In Romans, he tells us, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 121, it says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. In Philippians, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then Jude says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present yourself before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Christ Jesus our Lord before all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Can you hear him singing with shouts of joy over you this morning? When you spend time practicing just dance and worship, when you spend time serving and thinking about others, when you spend time immersed in his word, listening him to him sing over you, this is when he can more, more and more peel away those layers of vulnerability and expose the joy he's already given you. The expression of God's victory in our lives is joy and vulnerability is the key. God is the source of this great joy, a true and lasting joy. We are safe with Jesus. His invitation to come into our midst, to be vulnerable with him, is an invitation into his joy. So today, my prayer for all of us is that we open our hearts and our minds and our souls so that he may fill us with the joy, his everlasting joy.